Hi, I'm Rick Donlin, and welcome to Faith versus Fear, uh, part of the 20th anniversary Global Missions Health Conference com uh, meeting. Um, yeah, I am a combined internal medicine peds doctor by training. Also, have done some emergency room medicine. I live in Memphis, Tennessee, and have uh, had the great pleasure, honor of being involved in. Uh, providing healthcare services to low-income people in this city and recruiting other people to do that with us. Um, living in low-income community for the last 17 years here in our city and um, also being part of a house church network in Memphis from which we have sent a number of healthcare missionaries and other p missionaries into some of the most unreached parts of the world. So I want to speak to you about faith versus fear. I want to begin by um, telling you about a movie I saw a couple years ago. I recommend it highly. Uh, even though I knew the backstory about Alex Hanold and his climbing of El Capitan, the 3,000-foot uh, peak in Yosemite National Park, uh, I knew that he'd successfully done that in June of 2017, but I watched the movie and I couldn't look away. And honestly, uh, my palms were sweaty and I was nervous just watching it, even though I knew the outcome. Because as you probably know, um, Alex Hanold made that climb without any ropes or any other sort of protective gear or anything other than his hands and feet and some powder. And again, this is a 3,000 foot face of rock. There are times where he had only his hands to stabilize him. Uh, sometimes it, it really honestly seemed like the ledges that he was putting his toes and fingers on were no thicker than a credit card. Um, so really, really scary. <laughs> and um, it made me think, and not just me, but many people think about how Alex does that, how he will spend hours uh, far above the ground. Uh, I think most people understand from a point of view of trauma that a fall of greater than about 50 feet is almost always fatal. And, and again, there are times when he's thousands of feet above the ground without a rope, clinging to a rock, and sometimes only with hands or a foot. Um, so the question has come up many times to him about whether or not he fears. And Alex and old reports that he does fear, that he had fears, especially initially when he began to do climbing and when he did free climbing. But he also reports some interesting facts that his fears have gotten better over time and that the more he practices, the less fear he has. And in fact, about 95% of the climbs that he does are with ropes or other protective gear. He practices with those things before he makes his attempts. And the the assault, successful climbing of El Capitan followed um, two years of on and off planning. But he was persuaded by some neuroscientists to have his brain studied. And so he had functional MRI testing done to see if he in fact had a normal brain and how it functioned. And um, obviously it's not possible to do MRI on a climber while he's climbing a rock but they showed him, as they've done in other studies before regarding fear, um, over 200 pictures of fear inciting uh, things and, and terrible things, uh, children and fires and just really disturbing things. And their hope was to understand if his limbic system worked, and in particular, if his amygdala. Amygdala is part of the primitive brain that... Um, processes scary things and uh, gets alerted when there's danger and then sends message to, messages to our cerebral cortex to help us uh, process something that's fearful. Those messages eventually lead to changes in our body in lots of ways. Uh, we can remember times in our lives when we've been frightened, acutely frightened, and remember our heart beating faster than normal and our breathing more deep and um, just the sense of fear or anxiety. So they did this study with Alex, and this is the result. These are some of the results. On the left is his brain, and on the right is a control subject, another climber of the same age and some of the same experiences. And in the middle of the crosshairs on both of these scans is where the amygdala lives. And in fact, Alex has an amygdala, but it 
firing is exceedingly less active than that of control subject. And any messaging from the amygdala to the cerebral cortex is much less uh, in in amplitude and effect. And so the colors are somewhat helpful. On the right, the control subject at the crosshairs, his amygdala lights up vigorously and sends signals to the cortex. Alex's does not and sends softer signals. So here's the hypothesis that over time, Alex has has learned to train his brain, including his amygdala, if that's possible, to not fire and to not respond to the very real dangers, the, the real danger at any moment while he's on a cliff wall without a rope that he could slip and fall and die, as many climbers who do free soloing have done before, and he's aware of, and that comes up in the movie. But through um, persistent practice and and concentration, he has learned to control that, and he is no longer, he is not, obviously not con- controlled by his fear. So let's remember that. Fear, just as a, for a definition, is an unpleasant emotion caused by the belief that someone or something is dangerous, likely to cause pain or a threat. And the very close relative to fear, which I sort of think of myself as like a, a smaller smoldering version of fear is anxiety which can be defined as a feeling of worry nervousness or unease typically about an imminent event or something with an uncertain outcome and so there is uh, a spectrum of fear and um, from low level or zero level of fear a complete sense of peace all the way to terror to extreme fear that manifests itself in tachycardia and tachypnea and uh diaphoresis and other other full-blown physical symptoms there's also an issue of chronicity meaning how long is a fearful or fearful circumstances or possible fearful things how long are we being exposed to them so for instance i once bungee jumped at a amusement park in uh in Tennessee it wasn't a very high jump it was probably less than 30 feet and I was very anxious for a very short time until it was over but there are people listening to this talk uh, I imagine people part of this conference who have lived for months and years in places and in situations that cause everything from low-level anxiety to fear so it's it's a pretty common understanding that we have some some psychological responses uh, to fear and to fearful things. And so we've heard in the past about fight, flight, or freeze. And so those can manifest themselves relationally and in ourselves uh, in different ways, as this slide suggests. Um, when we want to f- want to fight, we can be irritable and lose our tempers and uh, be exceedingly defensive and some of us have maybe seen that in healthcare settings where people get in over their heads. There's also sometimes when anxiety has been active long enough or, or strong enough, even to the point of fear, that we try to avoid the fearful things or avoid the situations or even try to get away. And um, more subtle, perhaps, or some of these symptoms aligned with the freeze response. So I, I wonder if you if you're listening to this, I hope you're listening to it sincerely, would just for a second stop and think about your own fears and what are your greatest fears. And I say that as someone who I think on the spectrum of cool as a cucumber all the time versus anxious all the time, I'm I'm frankly fairly fearful. And I jokingly asked my wife yesterday about the last time she was afraid and she had some trouble remembering that event even so confessing myself to um, be given to fear and anxiety. I wonder if you might just take a second and think back uh, in the past or times if you can identify the sorts of things that cause you to fear. And then, um, since this is a conference about trying to, to take the gospel of Jesus and the church of Jesus to the entire world, including unreached and unengaged people groups, and because those remaining unreached and engaged places are largely in places that are uh, unfriendly to Christian missionaries or to the Christian church. Um, I wonder what 
your fears if you are a missionary or if you are contemplating a life as a missionary might be. And those two may overlap. Almost for sure they will. I'm going to share with you, as I said, some of my experiences. Uh, fears, and I call these the species of fear, the things that I've identified, and um, I'm going to talk about four of them quickly, I hope, from my own experience, and I hope that whatever fears you've identified or will identify um, fall into one of these four categories. They may or they may not. I hope they will. This is a picture from when I was uh, a fourth-year medical student, and I uh, got a MAP scholarship, Reader's Digest scholarship, to spend two months in the nation of Ghana. And I had a friend in New Orleans where I was a medical student at LSU in New Orleans who was from Ghana. He was at that time a graduate student. He's since um, also become an oncologist, my friend Edamagama. So he and some other people helped arrange a two-month time for me in in um, Ghana, in West Africa. And um, I had excitement about that trip until I got there and flights didn't go exactly right and it wasn't clear who was going to pick me up at the airport and then there was some confusion about how I was going to travel uh, inland to the mission hospital I was at and I I remember having just sort of global anxiety and fear. I was in a place I'd never been before, a culture I'd never been before. Certainly had friends uh, or people who were supportive in helping me but um, I had a complete sense of loss of any kind of control. And so that's one species of fear I think some of us have is the absence of control. We long to feel like we're in charge or we, um, the world's making sense and that it's predictable. And I lost at that time. That's one species. Not too long after that, uh, after I graduated from medical school in New Orleans, I went to Memphis where I've now lived for 30 years but I became an intern. And I was uh, an intern in an era where there was uh, perhaps less supervision and less rules about um, shift lengths and workloads. And so the first few months of my internship were highly uh, fear-causing for me. I was certain that I would make a mistake and, and harm a patient or maybe even kill a patient. I was worried that I wouldn't know what to do in many circumstances. I was frightened every time my pager would go off when I was on call. I was secretly sure that the police, uh, the hospital police, would come in and cuff me and take me out for um, being an imposter, for impersonating a doctor because I really shouldn't be there. So I think at the bottom of that, on reflection and some other times in my life, what I really was afraid in those cases uh, in that case was the a fear of humiliation, of being shown before the people to be incompetent or to not be up to the task. Uh, many years later, I guess, not that many, but six or seven years after that, we had opened um, a couple of health centers in low-income areas here in Memphis, and we had... Um, continued to pray for ways to learn in ministry, and I ran into a, a previous speaker at GMHC, uh, Charles Fielding, who I think gave the closing plenary last year and um, was from Memphis and has been a friend for many years. And uh, Dr. Fielding persuaded us in Memphis that we should begin to think about using healthcare strategies in the most unreached parts of the world where healthcare might be one of the only ways missionaries could gain access. And so that sounded... Uh, persuasive at the time and um, late I think it was 2000 we started making plans to go to Afghanistan where there were very few missionaries at the time uh, living and working because the Taliban were there in Afghanistan and were uh, largely controlling the, the the country but when the time came to go I think in March and April of, of the subsequent year 2001 uh, we flew into Pakistan and then had a great deal of difficulty getting visas through the Taliban visa office in Peshawar, Pakistan. And we had to we had to convince someone to drive us through the Khyber Pass to Kabul. And there was there were just many many things, including um, repeated interactions with Taliban soldiers and all of the things that uh, I had never seen before that that caused me a great deal of anxiety and fear. So in that case, I think the species of fear was just the fear of physical harm or death. Um, 
Lastly, I want to talk about um, a species of fear that honestly I haven't had as much personal experience with, but I have seen many times and I think is also very common, and that's the, the fear of being alone or um, long-term loneliness or loss of relationships or loss of potential future relationships, which I think have a significant impact on many people. So those are the four species of fear that I would propose. And I wonder, I hope that if you identified honestly fears you had, that they fit within one of those categories or maybe a different category. And again, I want to want to um, point out that when we get stressed, we get in difficult and new situations, um, the things that are inside us that are potentially anxiety causing some of our own history and difficulties, when the heat gets turned up on us, those those fears tend to come out. And so I think there's a special um, issue if we're talking about living cross-culturally and we're talking about um, being part of a strategy with other believers to bring about the most important mission in the history of the cosmos, which is bringing the truth about Jesus and his kingdom to places where it hasn't been before. And when we engage in that, in addition to our own shortcomings and brokenness and experiences and fears, we also engage an enemy. He's always our enemy, but I believe that he is more specifically an enemy to the people who are on the front lines of these efforts and to people who have made additional sacrifices and um, people who represent the gospel in Jesus in the world. And so, as the Apostle Peter reminds us in the fifth chapter of his epistle, first epistle, our enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, lion, looking for someone to devour. And I don't think it's a secret to most people. The lion uses uh, multiple tools, but primarily the tools of deception, of lying, and of fear, of causing fear, of whispering half-truths and outright lies, and, and in particular, stoking fears. And I don't pretend to understand all of the ins and outs of spiritual warfare, but I do believe that our spiritual enemies know us and have um, insight into our psychological and spiritual well-being and our history and our sins and so um, they can use that information to particularly attack us. The next verse in Peter's uh, epistle says, resist him, the devil that is, standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And so just as we have a hypothesis that Alex Hanold has slowly through practice and um, through many, many hours of very diligent concentration and work has overcome the power of fear to affect him so that instead of doing what any reasonable person would do and avoiding a possible death every second that he's thousands of feet up a, a rock, he's able to stay on the rock and to achieve, some would argue, the climbing free climb of El Capitan is one of the greatest athletic achievements in history. Alex Hanold is not a Christian person, but our hypothesis is that by continually speaking the truth to ourselves and having faith in the promises of God and doing that consistently over a long period of time that we can overcome our fears as well. And so we're looking for God glorifying fear resistance. And this is done in preparation for people who have not yet gone and can be done actively by people who are engaged. And so if there are species of fear, I would propose that there are also species of faith. And we get those specifically as promises and truths. Um, I do not mean that we just have faith in a generic sense or just sort of a, a general belief that God will take care of us. God does care for us and loves us, but the Holy Spirit has given us very specific promises that we can sink our faith into, that we can um, put in our heart and we can use as a fortress, as a stronghold. And that primarily comes to us through the Bible. And it's why it's so crucial for us to read on a regular basis in all parts of the Bible, to have a regular intake of the truth of the scriptures, to approach the Bible from a posture of humility and need. In addition to the promises of the Bible, which again is the main way God is going to speak to us and reassure us, the Holy Spirit also uses other believers, um, liturgy, 
sometimes even dreams and visions to reassure. But the primary places we will learn is from are from the Bible. And and not to pound this too heavily, but there are um, reportedly more than 300 reassurances to the fearful and the anxious in the Bible, almost enough one a day if one goes looking for them. Um, there are, I'm going to use some of those passages here, but there are hundreds of them, many, many more. Uh, literally every particular section or type of literature in the Bible is going to have something to help us allay our fears and anxieties. To that end, um, I argue, um, using a quote from William Shakespeare, that we basically fight fire with fire, that we take the attacks of the enemy and we turn them back against the enemy. So the quote from the play King John by William Shakespeare, be stirring as the time, be fire with fire, threaten the threatener and outface the brow of bragging horror. So the argument here, which has been made in other theological contexts, including Martin Luther, uh, famously Luther, reported that when the enemy would um, remind him of his sins and how corrupt he was and how evil he was and how what he'd done deserved judgment, he would say to his enemy, to the devil, um, you're only mentioning, I'm paraphrasing, you're only mentioning part of what could be laid against me. And in fact, my sins are far worse than what you say. But just as my sins are far worse the blood of my Savior and the power of the new covenant and the forgiveness and mercies of God and the gospel are even greater. So you can make your accusations, but I make my bragging in your face with the truth of Jesus. So how might we, we use these species of faith against the species of fear? Let's just go through them again. Um, and this, again, these are examples. And all of this can be um, altered and used according to your own use of the Bible and the truth that you have, the faith that you have. But if our fear, as mine was in Ghana and has been in many other situations, is a fear of losing control, we fight fire with fire by remembering things like this. That the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So, the truth is, we're not in control. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. We, we can hope for the best, but we have no promise of anything except the promise that our king, our redeemer, who loves us, who calls us his friend, who wants us to be yoked with him, who tells us to abide in him, that king is the creator and sustainer of everything, and that he is in control. And even when things appear to be out of control, we can we can actually rejoice in our lack of control because of his control. And we can fight the lie that we have to control things ourselves with the truth that we're in the hands of he who does control all things. Again, from Ephesians 1, In him, in Jesus, we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. So, again, we don't always understand the will. We don't always like the timing of the will. We are not... Um, promise to understand or have insight into everything that's happening, but we have a fact that we can use, even in the most chaotic and worrisome of circumstances, that everything is being worked out according to the conformity and purpose of Jesus. Lastly, for this species, the very familiar passage um, near the very end of Romans, the great Romans 8, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Again, this is, a, this is a promise for people who really do love the Lord and who have stepped out in faith and who can have confidence that all things, including bad things, you're familiar with the end of the chapter. There's nothing in all creation, including devils and angels, life and death, nothing that can separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. So embrace the lack of control, but embrace even more deeply the truth of who does control everything. And repeatedly, every time that we fear this, that we identify the species of fear, we can fight it 
with faith in these promises and many more promises. So the species of faith in the face of fear, and it goes without saying, although I'm going to remind you as we finish up here over the next several minutes that this is all dependent upon the mercy of God and the agency of Jesus, the fact that he is our high priest, that he's already gone into the Holy of Holies and the heavens on our behalf, that he's offered a sacrifice that takes away our sins. He's reconciled us to God, forgiven us of our sins, has promised us a new heaven and a new earth with him. And so it's the Holy Spirit who is given to us when we believe that can help build our confidence in these promises. All right, species number two, um, the fear of humiliation. Um, here's how we fight fire with fire on this one. Um, we recognize the truth <clears throat> about what the Bible says about humility and humiliation. This is from Matthew 18. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a little child to him and placed the child among them. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Now, I'll confess that if you'd have come to me in 1990 when I was an intern and said to me then, hey, you should embrace the possibility that you will fail and your failure will become evident and you'll be humiliated and that you will be acknowledged to be a bad young doctor, that I should embrace that. But the truth is my fears of humiliation were honestly sort of a perverse twisting of my pride and my desire to be approved by people and to be thought of well um, based on my own merit. And so in reality, humbling and humiliation is something that um, Christian people can embrace because it, it shows us again that our value and our worth is not in what we think we are, or what we can do, all of that by the way, is a gift of God. But our, our best place is to be poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, and knowing that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So just many, many New Testament um, explanations of this truth. This one's from the author of Hebrews. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore for here we do not have an enduring city but we are looking for the city that is to come even the king of the universe the maker and sustainer of everything who should have been welcomed and celebrated in the center of the city instead was humiliated stripped and beaten spit upon and taunted betrayed and suffered uh, complete humiliation prior to his now being raised and filling the entire universe with his glory. And um, this is the truth of discipleship. This, at least in part, is the meaning that we too are to take up our cross and follow him. So, Third promise, again, there are many, many others that could be used as you grow in your ability to read and know the Bible and believe it's truth as the Holy Spirit helps you. Such confidence we have through Christ before such confidence we have through Christ before God, not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. And that that ought to be the way I live my life every day. Uh, even if I'm seeing a patient with a condition I've seen a thousand times before, the truth is every bit of my experience and my skills and my education are things that the Lord gave me and his his comp his work is what made me competent and that's certainly going to be true in the spiritual realm if we're working as missionaries so the species of faith in summary to to fight against this species of fear of humiliation is a is a spirit of humility reminding you again that 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 has to come through the holy spirit that we are proud in ourselves that we seek by nature our own honor and glory, that we seek to build our own kingdoms instead of hallowing the Lord's name and bringing his kingdom, but by the power of the new covenant, by the power of Jesus and his resurrected life and the Holy Spirit inside of us, we can actually pursue humility. And humility can conquer our fear of humiliation, ironically. The third species, 
species I felt when I really wondered if my life would be taken by a Taliban soldier or that I would be jailed there or I would never see my family again. The species I've felt at times when I've had health crises, the fear of loss of life. And so remember our hypothesis, if we hear the truth about our lives and ourselves and we take God's promises to heart, we can fight our fears. From Matthew 10, are not two penny two sparrows sold for a penny, yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered, so don't be afraid. You're worth more than many sparrows. This is a promise to Jesus that nothing is going to happen to us, including our death, without God knowing it. And that while we're alive, every hair on our head is known and numbered by God. That we're worth more than anything. More than ant birds, for sure. But that the God of the universe knows everything about our lives. From the Gospel of Luke, verse uh, chapter 12, I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, and after that can do no more. This is Jesus speaking. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after your body has been killed, has authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. And yes, I tell you, this is a admonition for us to properly fear and respect God and worry about pleasing him rather than pleasing the world or protecting ourselves. And we don't have to be afraid. I didn't have to be afraid that the Taliban could kill me. They could kill me. They didn't kill me. But um, even if they had, my father is the one who is going to rescue my soul, who's made promises to me about eternal life in a new heaven and a new earth, in a new Jerusalem, in a close relationship with the Father and the Son and the Spirit. And I don't have to fear loss of that. So the species of faith that fights the species of fear is recognizing that we're already been we've already been sacrificed and that God's promises are true that he's going to accept that sacrifice and that our lives for however long we have them are his and we offer them to him and one day he's going to replace our temporary short-term sin-riddled decaying worldly life and body with an eternal transformed body that is literally like that of Jesus because that's the promise of the New Testament. So this also is something that has to happen by the Holy Spirit's power, but will happen by the Holy Spirit's power. Again, as we combine our constant reading in humility of the Bible and hearing the truth from the Holy Spirit in other ways and using that to day after day, week after week, month after month, attack our fears. Lastly, the fourth species of fear of loneliness there are many promises, and I have just a few. This one from Deuteronomy 31 that's been very helpful to me. The Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. It's hard sometimes when we feel most alienated from other people and from the Lord, maybe sometimes when we're struggling with our sins and our doubts, to believe this truth, but God has promised. He will be with us. He'll never leave us or forsake us. This promise is repeated in Hebrews also. He is ours and we are his. Psalm 73, whom have I in heaven but you and on earth and earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Lastly, from the mysterious book of the Song of Solomon or Song of Psalms, this truth over and over that Christ and the church, that there is love between them and that Jesus views his church, his body, his bride um, in the highest delight and has promised to come for us and his our interests at heart and even if we are alone even if we are in a jail cell even if we are um, separated from our family or, or from relationships that we long for he is with us and so the species of faith that fights and can fight loneliness is just purely loving Jesus and 
abiding in that and praying for a, a feeling and understanding a realization of that mutual love really for myself when I pray like to to know that the Father loves me, the Son loves me, the Spirit loves me, asking for that to comfort me. All right. Um, there is no fear in love. Perfect love drives out fear. Sometimes I beat myself up with this because, as I mentioned, I do tend to have anxiety and fear, and it, it reminds me that I haven't completely perfected love, but I know that that's the route. Like the knowing the love of the Father for me, the love of my Savior for me, the comfort of the Holy Spirit, um, that's going to drive out fear. And as I've said, I'm sorry to trouble you with it again, but this is a miraculous, supernatural thing that happens when we combine our faith with the grace and goodness of the Holy Spirit working in our minds and hearts. So, there they are. Um the species of God-glorifying fear management, uh, recognizing that we're not in control, that the living God of the universe is, and we can rest in that. We don't have to feel like we're in control all the time. Walking instead of in fear of humiliation and, and actually seeking humility before God and before other people. Recognizing that whatever we have days remaining, healthy or not, whatever is in our future, we are already given over to the Lord and that we are living sacrifices and that one day we'll lay down these weak, decaying bodies and this broken psyche that still has to struggle with sin and we will get new life, real life, eternal life and eternal bodies. And then lastly, combating the, the fear of loneliness is a increasingly intimate and real relationship with the Lord. So, our hope for you, and we're going to wrap this up now and have some time to talk about it if you like, is that like you, I, and you together, we can turn from fight or flight into standing and loving. All right. Um, this is my contact information for those of you who would like it. And again, I think we're going to have some time for chatting here, but otherwise I'm happy to take questions um, from others via this email address. Thank you very much.